This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Midpoint. My guest today is the marvellous Mary Portis. Where to begin with Mary? A retail guru who was on the board of Harvey Nichols by the age of 30. She opened her own agency before she was spotted on This Morning and propelled into the world of showbiz. She was a TV natural, as her shows such as Secret Shopper and those which tasked her with shaping up the high street drew in a very loyal fan base. Her no-nonsense manner, but done with panache and style, appealed to many. And her private life and family life took a massive turn in midlife as well. She divorced her husband, who was the father of her two children, and then later married a woman with whom she had another child in her early 50s. We talk about all of that and so much more. Well, here's something you may not know about our podcast sponsor, Solgar. They've been working with the carbon neutral company since 2000, so over 20 years now achieving full carbon neutral status in 2010. Solgar has invested in a variety of projects, from the planting of native trees in long-term natural woodland to the installation of solar panels for communities around the world, showing that they are, again, the gold standard in everything they do. So head over to solgar.co.uk and use the code THEMIDPOINT for 30% off. Okay, Mary is full of wisdom. I really mean this. So grab a pen because she's seriously, seriously wise. Mary Portis, it is wonderful to see you and to have you on The Midpoint. Um, How are you? I'm good. I'm tired. I'm really, I, I don't know. I've just, I said goodbye to my eldest son this morning. He's going off to work in New York for a couple of years. And it's such a milestone, you know, it was, um, so we did have a big family weekend and I had all my little chicks under one roof from the, from the nine-year-old right up to the 28-year-old and it was just really rather lovely. But it's also, it's a big emotional move. It was, it was bigger than him leaving home, really. Yeah, well, that's a great way to start, actually, because a lot mm. of mid-pointers uh, have that empty nest thing looming at some point. You've got, you just said then, one child going off to live in America for a few years. You've had kids leave home already, but then you've got a wee one as well, which mm. not many people have that range going no on. that's quite they don't. a lot of men do gab but oh, not women a lot of men do um... yeah lot of men yes i had a child in my 60s i'm like oh my gosh no i didn't i mean i was in my 50s but yes there is that big um gap between the two so you've got these two roles that you're playing I, it, weirdly i think it didn't make me feel like an empty nester at all when my elder two left and also actually at the time when they were going was COVID. So I had this rather magical time with them. And we were all locked down together, all of us. And there was this just magical. So like I say, even though I found it a very stressful time, COVID, and, you know, not knowing what was going on, there was this wonderful time where we were just this family group together, which would not have happened had it not been COVID. So there was an eight-year-old, a 26-year-old and a 24-year-old at such different times of their lives, yet it was it was really special. Has having a child a bit later, well, a lot later, actually, mm. than a lot of people, has that, do you think, kept your spirit 
very young. Oh, I'm the biggest kid ever. I mean, I'm just a child. I'm the naughtiest one in the office, always have been. So I think I, I have a young spirit. Um, uh, has it kept me younger? No, I think... I think it... Look, there are times when you're standing at the school gate thinking, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I've done this. <laughs> so I try not to do it too much. And I think all the other parents think, oh, gosh, Mary's a bit grumpy. I just can't be asked, quite frankly, <laughs> to make any small talk. And then the ones who get it kind of know yeah. that. But there's, there's a few others. How do you not transmit that to your son? Because you've got to be as enthusiastic about his terrible artwork or his, you know, his story about something that happened in the playground, as you ever were for your older kids, haven't you? You've got to give Well, it, yeah, that's true. And actually, funnily enough, I have much more time on that because when I, my older kids were very young, I was working, well, first of all, with Harvey Nichols and then I set up my own agency. So, and this was well before working from home or anything that's come out of the back of what's happened during COVID. So I really, you know, that was tough. I, I rarely dropped them at school, always the nanny did. Um, and I always made sure I was home to put them to bed, do their bath and put them to bed. So <clears throat> that little sort of journey to school and in between where you have this sort of non-stop nonsense chat... I didn't have so much, and I kind of grieve that. But they say to me, I'll give it over, Mum. We don't remember it, you know. So <laughs> to anyone who is feeling that, let me tell you, they don't remember. And they also don't remember the really lovely times when you did do it. Yeah. I go, do you remember those stories? They go, no. So um, all I do take from it is that they're safe enough and they are where they are they're today. They're secure and happy, and that's that's all that matters. And you've That's all that And happens. you've managed to create this very much a blended family that seems like it's working very, very well. Yes, it is working. But, I mean, none of this is easy. I don't get you know, anyone say, oh, yeah, it's easy. No, it's not easy, you know, because you do... I, I also, with having a child, you know, I'm sort of between that age of a mother and a grandmother age. So you kind of... You, you change and your interaction with it changes and the role that you start to play changes and your sense of self changes as well. So... You know, I get much less, you know, I don't worry about half the stuff that you used to worry about with him. And I think that's been better for him because I'm much more freer in the way that I connect with It'll him. It'll be interesting to see, won't it, what his teenage years are like compared to your other son's yeah, teenage I might, years. Yeah, I might that hand that over to my ex then. <laughs> Yours now. Um, you mentioned there, you're, obviously you were a, a behemoth of the retail world and you were on the board mm. of Harmony Nichols, you had your own agency. And then I was just doing a tiny bit of research into when you actually first went on telly. And I think it was... Was this morning with Richard and Judy where you first started doing a regular slot? I used to do a column where I used to go undercover into shops and then review them. And then I'd write up this review every week in the in the Weekend Telegraph magazine. And I loved it. And um, I got asked, someone had written a book on the sense of smell in retail and it was a Danish chap and, and they asked me if I'd come on as well because I used to write about retail. So I turned up to do it. It was an afternoon show, I think it was. And... Um, I got spotted by a producer. I just thought it was hilarious to talk about, you know, sense of smell in shops because the only thing I could think of was actually practically nasty smells in fitting rooms and whatever. Anyway, it just worked. Got spotted by the great producer, Pat Llewellyn, who found Jamie Oliver, Gordon Ramsay, and she just rang and said, look, I'd love to, to work with you. I've been commissioned to do a show about retail and, I, and I've been looking for so a presenter for slot, a year. one slot, literally? One, I was chatting, I was, I was a guest. Wow. But you were about 44, 45? I was 45. Wow. And she came in with a handheld camera. I was 46, I think, yeah. And um, that was it. And um, it got commissioned off paper. It didn't even... 
I didn't even have to do... It just got commissioned. And um, I thought, oh, yeah, this is all okay. yeah. In fact, it was originally commissioned by Channel 5. And then I went away on holiday and thought, oh, I'm not sure I want to be on Channel 5. I remember ringing this producer and she said, Mary, this is your first TV show. I was like, but I don't want to... And I'm, no offence, but I just don't want to be on Channel 5. And um, so it got commissioned by BBC Two and that was it. Amazing. Because mm. when I first started doing this, one of my kind of aims was to try and speak to people who'd done really big things in midlife, changed direction. And so my first guest was John Bishop, who was selling pharmaceutical drugs and then became a stand-up comedian. And slowly that kind of idea ebbed away a bit because not everybody has those great big career kind of U-turns or handbrake turns, you know, whatever it is that they do something totally different. But what it struck me with you, obviously you had this incredible career going on that you'd grown and had an enormous reputation. To then dive into a TV career, you know, at that age as well, when women can often feel quite, on the one hand, empowered, but also a bit insecure about how things are changing. You clearly hadn't, there was none of that going on in your mind. You were never in any doubt that this was something that you could be quite successful at, if not brilliant. I didn't even think that. I just went in with a naivety and I think of just, oh, here's another thing that's opened up. Um, But age gives you a confidence to accept that, do you think? I think it does, but I, I think it does. I didn't even... I, so I, was, I went... By the time I went on screen, I was 46, 47, but I didn't, I didn't even think about that so much at all. I think, yes, it was completely different. I mean, and my life took on a, a very different... Um, I mean, let's not forget before that I'd fallen in love with a woman, so I was now with a woman, I'm now in the public eye... All very different. I mean, I was known at Harvey Nichols, and in fact, it was Harvey the Times who wrote when I left. Mary Queen of Shops mm-hmm. has left, and I'd got a reputation in business, set up my consultancy, which I still have today. But it, but it, when I went into the public sphere very quickly, mm. and um, that was that was crazy and and a bit odd. But it also felt right, weirdly. And I, and, I, and I remember saying to Pat, "Oh yeah, I always thought I'd do something." Else. She said, "Everybody that I've ever discovered." says the same she you know and that was really funny and she just said yes they they knew somehow they were going to be in some kind of public role and don't forget I was going to train as an actress so that was you know I was used to performing performing I mean even though this was you know a camera following you just working so um and it felt natural and it actually felt in some ways you know this is where I was meant to be and and greater much greater confidence than where I'd ever been before you you said that you felt you'd fallen in love with a woman you had previously been married to a man and so uh, that that also brings with it kind of are people going to start as they do digging out you know digging into my life I've been a relatively private person before I mean obviously as you say well known within your industry but you were able to you know kind of swerve tabloids and things like that did that part of your newfound fame especially when people wanted to know more about your relationship did that sit well with you well it was really difficult at the time because and and it seems crazy I'm even discussing this now but what are we talking about we're talking about 2007 the only other gay public woman on tv was Sandy Topsick and Sandy had always been, you know, openly um, open about her, her sexuality and her marriage. But suddenly this was this prime time woman who was in high heels and whatever. And so it it got a lot, a lot of press. And um, I remember just wanting two things. I remember quite what, where, where my, my concern was. Not about me, because I've always been a, a, a ridiculously open book. But the effect of what that was going to do on my family. So these young children who I remember, you know, Verity coming home from school and saying, Mama, the girls at school saying you're gay. And the Daily Mail had written this whole thing, you know, of course. 
on me and she was really upset and I said well, don't be upset darling you know and I tried to explain she said no just for you mama I, I don't not upset for you and I was like this is little mm. nine-year-old you know it was um that soon went by the by and mm. um but but I felt very much and also my surname was my ex-husband's surname Portas is his surname so I felt a, a responsibility to him and how his name was being brought into the public eye. So those were the things that went with me, not me at all. And and I remember thinking, you know, I've just got to be open and honest about this. And it um, it was the best thing that I could have done. But I think, you know, you, you're bringing along children at a time when... It, and I remember doing the Pride speech, opening of Pride, and saying there weren't books talking about single-sex relationships in school in 2007. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? But it's the truth. And, I mean, today we've got all different expressions of it mm. in school. It, they didn't then. So I think for my children, I remember Milo had just started his secondary school, so I rang round every mother that was on the list of his school kids and said, I just want you to know I'm in, you know, a same-sex relationship. I'd like you to explain that to your son. And Milo, in a years later, said, no one ever teased me. I said, well, I don't think they would. The, the mothers, I got to speak to the children. Mm. So there was never any of that. Mm. Um, and, and, and wonderfully beautiful was one of the, his friends in school came out to him and told him first that he was gay. And I, I said, look, there you go, son. You know, that what a beautiful thing that's come out of this. But that didn't mean that I didn't have some sleepless nights, and I did. And... Um, but it, it came through. And the only thing you know that you learn in all of this is just follow your truth. Do you anything? Yeah. Which is what you did, obviously, in terms of your relationship with your wife. You know, you had mm. been married to Matt. You then married a woman at an age mm. where... What age were you actually when you met? Um, I was 43 when I met her. Mm. And so that seems like that would be an age where people are starting to kind of wake up to other possibilities in life. If you've been in a marriage and you've been kind of head down with career and kids, maybe knowing something deep down inside you that, you know, was kind of not, not sitting quite right or you wanted to explore something. Do you think that is, because this is about midlife, do you think from your experience now and from women who've spoken to you, that's still a kind of theme? Or do you think women find their truth at different stages? It just depends. Is there well, a think, midlife but... thing? I don't know if it was something that sat and thought, I've got to find this, because I think definitely sexuality, and particularly with women, is much more fluid from what I've learned. And the people, you know, suddenly, gosh, you've got a title, you know, uh, and the title goes out there, lesbian. And you're like, oh, so what did that make me before then when I was in love with the man? Mm. Uh, oh, that's bisexual, is it? You know, all this, they come on you and it goes in the press. And, and, and truthfully... Um, I think it wasn't that I was sitting there unhappy. I was my marriage had finished, not not for any reasons of my sexuality at all, and um, so. But but this happened, and I think it was the the courage to at an age go. You know what? This feels right, and I'm going to do it. And I think that comes with. I'm not sure I'd have done that at thirty. Um, and um, so, so I don't think it was anything that's like, oh, I've got to change. But I think what happens, I find in my life, is, is that. Um, you feel your rhythm of life change sometimes. And I think we often suppress those rhythms. And I think that's the worst thing we can ever do. And so this, this I felt, changed. And I've always listened to that, 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 that whether it's your soul or whether it's the frequency that makes you the best you are, I think that's what I've tried to listen to subsequently and know that life doesn't stay the same. And that often those feelings of change that come into you through whatever rhythm are there 
for you to just open a door and question. And it doesn't have to be big things, but I think not to listen to them is the worst thing we can do. And we so often do not listen to them because we think we have to look after other people because mm. it will affect them. That's what I was going to say. With women, mm. that's probably harder, isn't it? Because usually women end up being the ones who have the family to look after. So do you think women oh. find it harder to listen to that rhythm? I think women, and undoubtedly, I think, you know, and I done a lot of looking at this when I wrote my book, Work Like a Woman. The social load, but it's more than that. It's, and it was, it's, it's a, a, a sensitivity that goes so deep, and particularly when you, are, when you have children, that you will do anything and put them first and prioritise. And, you know, we've talked about it in business, you know, and I've been married to both sexes. Um, and seeing the difference, that the, the woman still will be that primary carer who puts herself last. My mother did it with five kids. Um, and interestingly, <laughs> and I admit it's a bit of a mea culpa moment here, when my ex-wife gave birth to Horatio, I slightly fell into that male role of, oh, I don't have to think about that. Or, you know, it was rather wonderful for a bit, and I had to catch myself up short because it would have been easier to do. Um, and I've, and I've, well, but then once those children come in, and, and not only that, but even your work and that role that you take on, I still think if there's a sensitivity that goes deep that puts you in a caring role um, that I don't see as much with men. And um, I think we always, we then give reasons not to maybe move in a different direction in our life because of it. And so women in business, um, and let's focus on this kind of period of life now, what are you, what are you, you're so tuned in to things, Mary, you've got this amazing ability to be relevant all the time, which is, which is really, you know, not, not easy, especially for women getting into this kind of age of life where you feel like, am I still relevant to my, you know, to my um, area of expertise or whatever it is that I'm working in? What are you noticing in terms of the trends of women in business well, I think the biggest thing in business is that what was seen as the soft skills, the caring skills, the skills that just say, I'm listening to you, sometimes vulnerability, compassion, acceptability are coming into business. And the businesses that aren't doing this will be ones that will be really suffering in the future because we have changed seismically. The way that we live, the way we're interacting with the world our understanding that this is a very special place, our planet, humanity. I think we're looking so much more at our wellness. And so therefore, in business, and we're seeing a lot of the next generation, my, my elder kids' generations going, are you serious? I ain't going to work like that. And so businesses are having to because of lots of things that have happened from the Me Too movement to the, you know, the global warning to the Black Lives Matter, we're being pulled out much more to be places where respect is at the centre of it as well as making money. So we're seeing a different rhythm that's happening within business. And what would have historically been seen as those sort of soft skills that women had, which were often the HR department, are actually now the harder skills to put at the core of those businesses because it's much easier to go and be individualistic and alpha mm. in the approach and focus just on profit. Now you have to look at how business is actually becoming better mm. and more caring. And those skills that women instinctively have 
and because of all that I've talked about before, are actually central to the future of business in the future. Which means, presumably, the fallout from that will be more female bosses, more CEOs, more female CEOs, more women on boards, if companies are following that kind of route that you're talking about. And men who also Understand embrace those. that. Mm. And they're beautiful when you meet them. You're kind of like, you are, this is wonderful. I've just done the you know, Better Business Act. I'm co-chair of that. And you see these men who are doing this. And you see it with where most men don't want to work the way they've worked. No. Most don't. And we've suppressed the feminine. We've suppressed it for millennia. This would have been, I, I could get me on the patriarchy and the church and how we've you know, mm. suppressed what was. And we've got an imbalance in the world. And that balance is trying to come back. You might not look at it when we look at the despotic leaders that are globally and the autocrats versus the Democrats, but we, we are. It's coming, it's shifting, and the movement's beautiful, and we need to open ourselves up to it. And I would say to any woman who feels that, this is actually your time to really embrace your true kind of feminine instinct, because that's what we need in the future to make a better... Because I'm... Uh, aware that you know I'm a little bit younger than you and I started out in my area of you know it was very male dominated sports broadcasting and I was so keen that I wouldn't lose what I was as a woman you know to just morph into the men around me uh, you know who were kind of dominating the the space what was it like for you when you started out in your industry in terms of the the male energy and how you kept that kind of strong female energy and didn't because you see it a lot don't you in kind of you know 1980s banking films where the woman kind of has to go in and be a ball buster to try and compete with the men so what what was your experience well first of all I think you've done brilliantly well I've always been a chapeau Gabby because I do think that your area is ridiculously alpha I mean sport you know um has been and you've gone in there and actually kept your feminine integrity and, and beauty so well done I'm not sure I did it so well so I think I did become a bit alpha because I had to succeed so I am older than you and I was it, we're talking about early 90s, and we're talking about the time when, you know, over the other side of the sea was Reagan and, you know, we had Thatcherism and, you know, the, the growth of sort of Canary Wharf and Wall Street on one side of the Atlantic, and it was all about money and it was all about power and it was about the shoulder pads and all these women, you know, sort of who were getting to the top then sort of boasting about how they got up at 4.30 and did their, you know, Ashanti yoga and, you know, then rang and did an international phone call and then looked after their five children before, oh, shut up, you know? <laughs> So I was in that and I think I lost a big part of me. And um, so even when I wrote work like a woman, you know, and I started to, to look at this years later and my daughter, who was then doing her degree at Oxford, goes, be careful, Mum, are you really sure you can call it work like a woman? You're not going to alienate people. And I said, Verity, you and I need to sit down and talk here, you know. And, and you know, there was still that slight fear. Oh, God, it's just going to sound like a sort of lefty lesbian rant. no. No, now is the time for us to be talking so much more about this. But I didn't think I did it. I just, you know, I was in the fashion industry, so it was easier. Mm, more women working um, there, probably. For women working mm. there, but but not on board levels. No. So, you know, even if we think about it today, I think there's something like only uh, 10% of women on fashion boards, which is ridiculous. Wow. In a business, that 80% of the buying is done by women. <clears throat> so... I'm not sure I did, but I learnt. And I learnt that there is ways to completely be successful and, and, and fuel 
fuel who you are in, in, in the right way by actually connecting back into truly who you are. You talked about contributing to government papers, your consultancy, obviously with your business, you're working with businesses all the time, kind of uh, on many different levels. You have to therefore be, as I said before, plugged into what's going on everywhere. And as you were when you were Mary, Queen of Shops, going on the high street, telling us kind of, you know, what's happening in the high street. That requires energy and commitment to knowing what's going on. You, Somebody has struck me as always... You seem like you've got good energy levels. How do you kind of maintain that? What's I do. I, I have very good energy levels, but I'm, I, there's a time where I know I need to check out. There's a couple of things I'd say on that. First of all, I think what fuels me and what keeps me looking at what the future is and what's happening is a, an interest in culture, whatever sphere that comes from. And it's not a dry sort of, oh, we've got to go to that exhibition. It's a kind of knowing... You know, whatever book that I'm reading at the moment, I'm reading a book on Hannah Arendt, you know, as the political philosopher. And you're like, oh, gosh, and then I might flip into a really kind of easy, you know, bestseller or what I'll listen to on the radio versus what, you know, I was just this morning, you know, talking about the 15-minute cities that are happening and the great... So for me, it's just all... I've always... My mother always was like that. We were always just interested in culture what was happening. I, if I'm overawed, I get exhausted. My sort of little chip in me just goes out. So I don't have a massive attention span. So I don't do meetings longer than about an hour and a half and I could just check out. I surround myself by, with brilliant people. My chief executive is a woman who can just work at it. You know, she could just sit there and trunch through huge amounts. I'm not good at that. So I'm good at doing lots of things and having five, ten things going. And then I have to cut out and go, now is the time to rest. You know, there's a... There's a wonderful line in the film, Babe, at the end with the little pigs done everything, and he just says, enough, babe, enough. <laughs> and I kind of say that to myself, enough. And then I need to just rest, and I'll go into nature and potter. I don't actually ever, you know, I don't actually sleep a lot, or but I potter and clear the brain by just being, doing inconsequential but little joyful things. Did the, the menopause affect your sleep? Did that affect your energy levels? You know, it's a really interesting one. I had, um, I, I had to have a partial hysterectomy um, in my menopause, and I don't, I never had the hot sweats. I, my, and I don't know, of course, I don't, I mean, I wake still at sort of three and you go, oh God, here we go. But I get myself less upset about it. I'm just like, no. And I try to make sure there's not meetings in my diary uh, before a certain hour so that I can just go, okay, if I lie in, I've got an extra lie. Well, I don't lie in, you know, it's just not the way my body works. But I don't let my, because you read so much now, if your sleep's affected, you're going to end up with Alzheimer's. I'm like, oh, just get out of my head, all this crap that keeps coming at me in the press. So I've, I've become much more, if I wake, I wake. This is what my body's asking me to do. And I'll sort of either meditate or um, come down and do a few yoga stretches. I mean, I'm not, then some nights I'll have a completely fantastic sleep and I'm like, woo, going to take on the world. Um, so I didn't ever get those real hot sweats and really bad nights. I mean, my sleep broke the minute I had kids. I mean, anyone who thought, geez, that was like, what? What? Who didn't ever tell you about that one? Well, I've got to, on every episode, Mary, we have an expert. So today, seamlessly segueing into today's expert, we have Nick Littlehales, who is a sleep expert. Hi, Nick. Can you hear me? Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. This is Mary. Mary, Nick. Hi, how Nick, are you doing? Hi, very uh, good. Nick has worked with all sorts of people, from uh, high-powered CEOs to international athletes. Um, what's 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 your kind of? Because we're women of a certain age, right? You know, we, we're going through uh, changes in our bodies. Sleep gets broken through those hormonal changes. So, how much have you looked into that? 
I think it's sort of like a growing area, to be honest, uh, Gabby, that, um, you know, as as women's sport and female sport is almost getting better than the men these days. They're getting so professional. Almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you start to bring all of those other factors into place. And I think uh, the whole polyphasic approach, which is which is recovering in, in cycles rather than thinking about long blocks, which is a bit... It's not so natural to us uh, as human beings. So if it's about getting a little bit more synchronised with that rolling 24-7 process, uh, the sun going around our planet. We've got uh, a couple of other key recovery periods, midday and late afternoon. But actually, it's getting this nice recovery rhythm. That's what we're focused on now, is getting a really nice rhythm to your day about mental and physical activities and mental and physical recovery activities. So if you just change the sort of concept of nap to a controlled recovery period where you're not even actually trying to sleep but just getting that vacant mind space, you're helping your brain. So it's everything you do from the point of wake to the next point of recovery. And you're trying to help your brain get to that place. So however many hours you allocate to sleep, like nocturnally or a short break late afternoon or midday, you're really trying to go, have I done as much as possible today to help my brain that when I present myself to sleep and it takes over, it's going to do its best to optimize my recovery. Everything is triggered by this rhythm. So your mood, your motivation, hormone production, how you react to negative things, how you take advantage of positive things. So it really is sort of trying not to push yourself so hard that the brain is in constant adaptation so that when you go to sleep, you don't get the level of recovery you want. And then you've got this repeat factor of mm. always feeling a little bit behind the game in every sort of way. Get a consistent start to your day. Chop your day up into 90-minute cycles. That gives you 16 cycles. And you're sort of going, first cycle of your day, you've woken up, forget about what happened, start the first 90 minutes of your day like this, second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way around to the 16th cycle. That's the last cycle before you wake up. And then you go again. So you try to get a really nice approach to the start of your day is the first cycle. Nick, can I ask you a question? So um, uh, I don't get so hung up on it because I'll have time. So last night, I had the worst night. My son was leaving to go to New York this morning, so I had terrible nights. I think I probably got about three hours. But I got up and I just think, I'm not going to let it get to me when I do that. And I mean, I'm not feeling brilliant today, but I'll still get through my day. And what I find is I'll just catch up. I might have like a nine-hour this week and I know I'll catch it up. Is that equally good? It's a way of coping, but the reality is is going to bed earlier or sleeping in later is a way to sort of make you feel a little bit better, but actually it, it is counterproductive to the natural rhythm of your 24 hours. So it's not about losing sleep and gaining it another point in that week. It's about sort of what you've done within those sort of two forty that forty eight hour period. Nick, what would be better then if Mary wasn't going to do the nine hour catch up sleep tomorrow? Say, what what would she be better doing today? Having she'd a power much, nap. She, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, she'd be much better. You've lost that sleep that night, so you go into the next day into your cycles, and you sort of take midday if you can. You could take a ninety minute cycle there or a thirty minute cycle. 
to, to build that up. Could you, right, could you do that, Mary? Uh, is my cycle all right? Yeah, I'm just going to tell Nick I'm going to go then, all right? I'm going upstairs, I'm joking. <laughs> it's but I have, I've got time. Yeah, right, I'm going to do it. I'm talking and looking around there at my team. Um, is it also rest? Can rest be through meditation? Because you talk about freeing the mind. Does it have to be physical sleep or can it be a meditation? Because I can do that quite well. Anything. Meditation. Any, okay. Any vacant mind space stuff yeah. that you've yeah. got, whether it's sounds, it's sensory. I mean, looking yeah. out the window and just taking, mm. you know, it's all about that. So what works for you mm. and uh, breathing is really good, you know, because mm. that can really take you down into a place where... You're pretty much in a sleep state, but you're still sort of conscious. You know, even if you don't feel tired, right? And it, and you create the space and you just go somewhere and you start that process, meditation or breathing. Suddenly your brain will just go, this is the right time of day. I love this. Thank you very much. And it'll just take over, right? So it's not about trying to sleep. It's about doing things that helps your brain do this recovery stuff when it wants to, how it wants to do it. You have a, a nocturnal sleep period that gets disrupted, right? Mm -hmm. So you wake up in the morning and think, oh, I only got three hours and it wasn't very good and everything else. So immediately what happens is into the first cycle, second cycle, third, you get to midday and go, right, I'm going to do some a breathing thing today. I'm going to allocate 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes. Allocate that time to the breathing. The brain will take that opportunity to balance you back up again. So you don't think about trying to gather nine hours mm -hmm. on another yeah. day. Nick, as always, brilliant advice. Thank you so much for popping along. I think that's a really good takeaway as well for especially women who are going through hormonal changes where it does affect their sleep because you can't predict when that night of just waking up at three in the morning is going to happen or anxiety or issues are going on. And men as well, obviously. Good to see you. Take care. All right. Cheers, Gabby. Bye. The last thing I kind of really want to talk to you about before we finish today is you're so synonymous with a style and look. And remember when you launched your clothing, you said about women in the late 30s and late 40s, you know, kind of who was dressing them and what's... Has that got better, do you think? Has, has what's oh, out God, there... Yeah. yeah, when I did the collection, though, there was no-one who actually even photographed women over 40. Wow. You know, I had never... When I did the campaign and shot photograph models... Actually, even finding models over 40 was nearly ridiculous. We're talking 40, not 50, 60. Ridiculous. Yes, and you have the Iris Apfels at one end who was wearing the crazy glasses and walking around New York, and you're like, come on, lovely, but let, let's try and get something that reflects truly women of an age. And even not of an age, I think that what we've got to is a much greater kind of place. And I think anyone who's got any sense would know that that's where the money is in that age group not necessarily in, in the younger age group. And I think we've become much more relaxed about fashion and how we wear it. Um, and I just put on, in the end, what I like. And the thing is, it is about a feeling. And I think if you feel good, you wear it. And the stuff that I don't wear again, and I feel like I'm not, I'm not like that now. That's mm. not me. That's mm. not reflecting who I am. And um, I think that's the only thing I can say to people. If you feel good in it, wear it. The worst thing is trying to follow trends and think that's mm. what I want to be. Be who you are. And it, that that comes from within, you knowing what fits you, what looks good on you, what you feel relaxed in, whether it's 
wearing trainers with a really great cut pair of trousers that you you know would have historically been a high court shoe with. If you put that on, you think, oh, I feel really good in that. Then just wear it. And what That's a, simply what it. about things like? Um, and I'm I mentioned this because I had Alexandra Shulman on an episode in a previous series, and she made that comment about Helena Christiansen, which got her into a bit of hot water about her being too old for a bustier, and she kind of retracted, didn't she, afterwards? And she still talks on the podcast about the decolletage not being too low or, you know, having to have a certain knee length at a certain age. And and I guess there is an inference that women of a certain age shouldn't wear certain clothes. I kind of don't need to be told that. I kind of know it, that certain things just don't feel right anymore. Yes, and I think that's the decision that we should be giving. And I, and I think, you know, I think we've had too many years of that and we've had too many years of Vogue historically sticking six, you know, 16-year-olds you know, of a size four on the front cover. So let wake up and smell the roses, everyone, will you? I'm just actually bored with it, quite frankly. And I think most women, you know, most women I pass and look on the streets are just look great and, and are being themselves. And I don't need anyone to be saying you're too old for that. I just think it's wrong. And I think, you know, women doing it for women is equally terrible. I mean, look, you know, I've seen sometimes, I think, oh gosh, you know, I'd love to sort of, sometimes help someone just just tweak something you know because you know if you walk this way it's going to be so much better but um but actually mary there are people listening to this that will probably be saying right or screaming out to the 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 podcast oh please mary help me tell me so give some if you could do a few takeaway kind of bits of advice to the midlife i think i think for the midlife woman or even that i think simplicity is key and i i sell that time time i'm looking at you there sitting in that lovely simple camel-coloured cashmere knit. I think keep it as simple as possible. Find pieces about two or three pairs of trousers that you absolutely love. I think um, looking at them when you're buying them, going, actually, how will that look with a great trainer? Because every woman looks great in a trainer. How will that look with a high shoe when I want to wear it out? Those simple things. Um, Looser. As you get older, not nothing too tight. You know, uh, you don't need to wear it like that. We don't need to, you know, just keep it loose. It looks sexier. You know, it looks sexier. I think um, uh, it just has that kind of looseness about it that looks lovely. And if you're tired, put on glasses because that often helps. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I just think it's simplicity and great pieces of jewellery that aren't statement, but that you, just, that you put on that always make you feel, I'm just putting a little bit of adornment on here. And I think the other thing I'd say is have someone and get some decent makeup artist just to relook at your makeup at a certain age. She goes, you know what, my skin's changed, mm. my face is changing. What are the simple little things that I can do now to, to, to just make sure that I'm feeling my age rather than trying to be something other? And I think that, that's what I would, that's the only tips I'd give. And what about hair? Because you're very lucky. You've got that gorgeous swingy bob, which I think is timeless, but also very mm. youthful. And, mm. uh, you know, I've got um, terrible... Today, I feel very um, unkempt and I would normally not want to appear to, to you without a blow dry, but I worked out this morning and I just shoved it back in a bun because I had loads to You see, do. I think that looks equally lovely, though. But it's but I've got that kind of wiry kind of, you know, hair, you? Uh, curly hair, which is, as you get older, gets more curly and unkempt mm. um, and takes a lot more work. I think midlife hair, is a bit, it can age you. Do you know what I mean? If you don't well, get the hair right. Oh, well, I changed mine completely. As you know, I had the bright orange bob and it's now, blonde, you know... You're a blondie. 
I'm a blonde mixed with grey. Actually, I'm really quite dark. Naturally. You know, that's... If you look under them, no, so I'm really quite dark. I didn't realise how dark I was. So I don't actually have a huge amount of grey, but um, I think hair, a couple of things on hair. I'm lucky enough that I've got very thick, quite straight hair, a lot of hair, which is... Um, and so I can get up and look the same. My friends go, are you serious? Your hair looks the same in the morning. Uh, no, I think what I'm loving on hair, I think as you get older, here's my one thing. My sister goes, oh, stop going on at me on it, Mary. And I'm like... I think don't make it too blonde, don't make it too straight. I think that really is. It pulls the face down, mm. aging, and it, it can be a bit hard. So if you like blonde, keep make, make sure it's mixed with some grey or some tinge of brown coming through so it just it looks natural. Mm. This white, white, and those straight and straightened hair is really... Sorry, I, I, I'm not a fan of it. I also think just there's a length you can get to where, and as you get older, just a little bit shorter, you know, when you have it onto the shoulder, it pulls down the face at a certain age. Um, I've talked about this a lot to hairdressers and, and so forth. So I think just getting up to your sort of jawline, certainly when you're post 55. And that's why I look, and sometimes you see older women with short hair and they look gorgeous, you know? Mm-hmm. And they look absolutely gorgeous. And we, we've, we've brightened to that. The 80s, when I, you know, first of that, short hair all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think we had a terrible, the noughties, early noughties, that long, long hair and everybody wanting to look like a Kardashian or something. It was just the worst time possible. So I think. You know, if you've got hair, try and create something that's the easiest possible and often that's going slightly shorter and not, not over-dyeing it and not doing too much of those iron tongs on it, mm. quite frankly. Uh, what about exercise? How do you keep yourself in shape? And I don't mean that aesthetically, but from an energy point of view, I think exercise in our yes. period of life is so important. So I, I used to run every single day and then I completely knackered my knees mm. because my, my because I didn't realise I pronated. I just thought it was age and they said, no, you've pronated and you should have had little inserts. So I actually don't have any whatever it is on my knees, which is a killer. So my exercises, I don't get beat up on it. I do about three, three times a week Pilates to give really strong core because my back played me up. I've got herniated discs. So I do that and I love it. I've got a great little Pilates studio around the corner from me. And then I walk a lot. So when I'm in the country, I will go off for two hours. And that also does what we've talked about, Nick. It clears my head, I connect. And that's really it. I don't really do much more. I used to do a lot of weights more, but the Pilates does my core and does my arms. And I, I probably do about 15 press-ups each day I'll do to do it and just open my back up. But that's really it. Which uh, is great because it's accessible. I think a lot of people kind of get put off exercise thinking it's got to be some kind of hardcore military fitness every day. But actually, a little often, I think, is probably the best, isn't it? And yes, and I think your diet as well. I yeah, do I the 16 say, hour. Food, food, yeah, I, I do the... Um, I don't eat breakfast. And that keeps me always at the same size. Um, so, I, and I try to. So, for, for example, tonight I've got my little son Horatio with me. I like eating with him at about five. Yeah. Perfect, you know, and uh, don't, you know, try not to eat after eight o'clock because it just sits in the stomach. What so about that alcohol? Yeah, sorry, let's pulse on that one. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of what you fancy does you good, right? Oh, no, I'm a wine girl. I'm too, I've done far too much. I'm going off on a detox with my sister uh, for two weeks. I do, I do it once or twice a year where I completely stop anything and completely detox. Don't eat for eight days and just cleanse my whole system well, just, up. Just a, a Jason Vale type detox, is it? it just I don't know what that is. I go to a lovely place in, in Turkey and, uh, yeah, just I just have fluids wow. and vitamins. And you actually go into this kind of slightly, woo yeah. surreal space. And it's fantastic. your skin must be amazing as well. Mm. And then see... it cleanses everything out. And what about um, kind of going forwards in, in terms of uh, any kind of aesthetic... In, 
treatments and things do you because i sometimes think when women have got loads and loads of of, of work done it actually ages them more almost oh i mean? agree with you totally so i do have botox i have had that one done just in my line and my eye there because i just but i very little and i go to someone who does very small uh, i'm very lucky i've got my mother's irish skin so i don't yeah, really get too lined skin. yeah um but i do get a bit of that around the eyes because i found that and nothing else really i don't and i go and get very good on fa- face massages mm, mm. um a face but massage. i don't do anything else i think fillers are horrible and you can just see the face i was actually looking at someone on telly the other day and thinking that's not that actress is it is it that actress is it really her and young. I mean, we're talking, like, mid-40s. I'm like, wow, you just look so well, different. you say mid-40s, you know, there are women in their 20s who seem to Oh, be... no, it's terrible. I watched a great documentary on that. It made my heart break. Mm. These young women with the pressure on them and their lips out here in 21, 22, looking just bizarre. And, and you just but think, it's become... Where does that go? Acceptable. That's what worries me, where that goes. Because I worry about it with my kids, and you've got a younger child than mine, so... Well, I, first of all, you, you don't need to worry too much about it with your kids if you take them on the dialogue and the narrative with you and you show them a different way, because I think that, you know... I have a 24-year-old daughter, 25 now, Verity, who basically pinches half my stuff and dresses like me. So um, not that I'm saying that's right, but we know, she, I would never have done that with my mother. So I do think we can show them a way, and I think it's about education, it's about love, and it's about security for them. That's the most important thing I think we need to do. I think, on a positive note, I think one of the, the great things that we've learnt in COVID and during this pandemic is that people, connectivity and community is key. And that even the, the terrible things like that, like COVID, we're so interconnected, we all knew, well, I can get it, you can get it. That's how interconnected we are. And I think we've come out with this renewed sense of community and actually a real understanding of what's important in our lives. And I think we've got to know there's a, a, a shift that's moving forward where we're seeing a much kinder approach. I called it the kindness economy, where we're actually looking at how we can create a world that gives jobs, that creates business, but actually looks after people. And so many young businesses that I'm seeing coming up and, and, and challenging those old status quos where we lost so much when technology went crazy. We're seeing a much more creative and better retail world that's going to be coming out. We'll have less, but we'll have better. Amazing. What a way to finish. Thank you so much, Mary. That was brilliant. And that's, I think we could, that's kind of like a TED talk on its own, your final answer there. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so lovely to chat to you. I knew I'd enjoy you today beautiful. and have a, have a great rest of your day. Have a lovely breathing session. You're going off now to breathe. I'm going to go and do it now. I'm very jealous, jealous of old Claudia sleeping anywhere. I'm, I, I know I've got friends like that and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like the little bird on a perch looking out everywhere. Like, but I am going to go and do that now. Take care. I really enjoyed talking to Mary. She's so honest, so open and uses her public platform brilliantly. I love the sound of the new business world that she's predicting as well. And her style advice. She always looks so chic and put together. And the confidence she exudes as well is such an attractive quality. It kind of draws you in. So I really love the hour that we spent together. Uh, thank you to Nick Littlehales as well for coming back onto the podcast. Uh, my takeaway from him today is that a rest or a reset after 90 minutes, which he prefers, he likes these 90-minute cycles. Doesn't mean you have to get into your pyjamas and head to bed because that would really put me off it. Five minutes of breathing or meditation can be just as restorative. I think even going outside for a walk can be a way to reset. 
But I do agree with him that you just can't keep going all day long and not stop and take a little bit of time out. So try and do that if you can in your day. Uh, thank you so much to Solgar for sponsoring us again. Did you know that across the population, approximately one in five people have low vitamin D levels? And it's not just in the wintertime, in the summer as well. You've got to get a lot of sun to get your vitamin D levels up. So if you're worried that yours are low, head over to solgar.co.uk. They've got various vitamin D products there. And you can use the midpoint as the code for 30% off. You might fancy vitamin D. It might be something else. Thank you so much to Lauren Armstrong Carter for producing and to you for sending in your midpoint moments. I love them, so keep those coming in. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.